pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 152. Today I'm going to chat with Aaron Goodfellow from Odin Works, discuss charges filed against a St. Louis couple who defended their home from violent protesters, highlight new precision rifles available for Southpaws, and talk about a bet that a CEO made about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Ava Flannell, and Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for uh, chatting with me today. Of course. Before we get into it and talk about Manicore Arms real quick. So if you guys currently have a muzzle device on your AR that has a harsh muzzle blast, you might want to check out the Afterburner Linear Compensator. It diverts gas at the muzzle like other compensators, but directs it forward to avoid muzzle blasts coming back at the shooter. At the end of it, it's intricately threaded, which distributes gas flow to reduce flash uses alone, but it also allows installing an optional flash hider or compensator tip for additional effect. And the afterburner is $43.95. The optional flash hider or compensator muzzle tips are $28.95, but you're not going to pay that because when you use the code GUNFUNNY15, you will get 15% off, and that is at manacorearms.com. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. All right, so Odinworks. Tell me a little bit about the company. So Odinworks is based in Boise, Idaho. The owner, his name is Tom Hines. He's been in the gun industry actually for quite a while. Back in the early 2000s, he was a farmer. And there was a bill by Idaho Senator Larry Craig for re-educating farmers that didn't want to farm anymore or times were hard or whatever. So he went to school to be a machinist. And then after he got done with that, he started in the gun world. And in about 2011, 2012, Odinworks was started. And this October will be the eighth anniversary of Odinworks. Tom's always been a big gun guy his whole life. So getting into machining and then making his own guns and own gun parts was something very natural for him to get into, easy for him to get into. Here at Odinworks, one of the things that we really strive for is making affordable quality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're uh, located, like I said, in Boise, Idaho. We're a small family company, you know, 35, 40 employees. And uh, we try to have a good time at work. We try to make really good stuff. And when we have to, we take care of the customer. And that's kind of one of our models that we live by is what's the right thing to do and to do that for the employees and the customer. Mm -hmm. And what is your role at Odin? My official title is operations director. I've been here, I can't remember, it's either five or six years, but we've moved once since I've been here. We're getting ready to move again. A small company like this, uh, it sounds like a really cool title, but uh, so there's the owner, Tom, and then I guess I would be the second in command. And we are both really involved in just about every phase of the company, uh, whether it's production or marketing or, you know, product, you know, ordering material, product design. Most of the designs and product ideas do come from Tom and myself. And then we have, you know, a team of engineers that help us design things and, you know, put ideas onto paper and blueprints. And then we take them out to the shop and make them. Nice. And have you always been into firearms or how did you get interested in the industry? I grew up uh, in a little town called Fruitland, Idaho, and firearms have been a central 
thing in my life. My earliest life memories involved firearms and my family. Um, I started competing competitively at age 11 and still compete competitively with firearms. So my kids do, I do. It's just uh, firearms have been part of my life. Um, I actually met Tom at a three-gun competition and uh, we became friends and then shoot, it had to be seven or eight years later, he called and offered me a job here at Odin Works and I guess the rest is history. Wow, that's pretty cool. So what products did Odin originally start making? So we actually started making barrels and Tom was a one-man shop. He had two machines, uh, had a one mill and one lathe and he was actually making barrels for another local company and uh, started making his own stuff. And uh, so barrels were like the very first product. And then he started making four ends, the original four ends. And when he started making four ends, that's when everything really started taking off, you know, and that turned into like the little magazine release that we're kind of famous for, which is uh, called an XMR and then a flashlight mount and more four ends and gas blocks. And it just, you know, kind of, you know, you look at an AR-15 and the idea is like, okay, what can we make next and how can we make it better? And we never really want to copy what other people do. Our thinking is how do we make it better and add value to it instead of just making the same widget that everyone else makes. Mm -hmm. What was it about barrels that he was interested in producing? Was it just the fact that he was doing it for other companies? And then he was like, you know what? I'm doing it for other companies. Why don't I just create a business and make barrels? Because I would imagine barrels are probably, I mean, it's a pretty important component to a rifle that obviously has a great effect on whether you're shooting accurately or not. And Absolutely. So it just kind of seems weird. Okay, barrels would be the first thing. Because I think, in my opinion, that that would be one of the more difficult items to produce. Well, there's really important areas on the barrel, like the gas block journal and the chamber, obviously, that are really important and high tolerance. But the reason why you think about the political climate that we're in, Mm -hmm. you know, in 2011, 2012, we had a very similar climate where people were afraid of the president and his people and the gun grabbers. And so local companies, just like right now, nobody can make enough parts. So barrels was something that they needed help with. And so that's what he started making. And it was one of those things like, well, I'm already making them. So just like you said, we'll start making them for ourselves. And what other parts can we make? Mm -hmm. And typically, obviously, if somebody were to make their own firearms, the barrel is always the most difficult to make on their own. It's uh, definitely one, especially if you're starting with just a solid piece of steel, you got to have a gun drill be able to pull a button through it. So yeah, typically the barrel is one of the things that you cannot make. Very, very few people can actually make a barrel. Yeah. All right. So you started off with AR products and mostly for competition. What other platforms have you guys expanded off to? Well, we make everything for the AR-15. Some of the things we buy, like the lower parts kits, we don't make those. Um, We make suppressors and we actually have here another company called Airvice and Workholding. We actually make vices for uh, people to automate their machine shops. So they're a pneumatic vice that uh, we actually out in our shop, we have five robots and the robots are making parts every single day. And the robot tells the vice when to open and close. And so it's holding on material for us. And, you know, we, we have uh, successfully ran robots you know, 48, 72 hours in a row, and it's never turned off. All we have to do is make sure it has material and that we're taking the chips out of 
out of it and keeping it full of coolant and it just runs and runs and runs and never turns off. So as far as the gun parts go, we just do AR-15 stuff and suppressors. And then we also have the Airbuys company and that's all we're currently making right now. Okay, nice. And we're going to get into the suppressors in a second because I noticed that you guys just kind of started getting into that fairly recently. Have you guys always sort of concentrated on lightweight products? That has always been uh, one of the very top of mind things is how do we make something that's strong and durable and lightweight? Um, nobody likes heavy, you know, it's just not, I shouldn't say nobody, but uh, people really enjoy having a five or six pound rifle. Mm-hmm. What kind of product testing goes into that? Because people automatically think that if it's lightweight, that it's not going to hold up over time. Yeah. You know, one of our most popular four ends, probably our most popular four end is the O2 light. And we developed that and, and we, we tried, we actually, you know, people were coming into the shop and kind of having the same reaction as we were prototyping, like, yeah, that's not going to be strong enough. So we actually gave it to big, strong guys and said, you know, try and crush this with your hands. And, you know, people would try to crush on them. They would stand on them. Uh, at one point, we actually even hooked one to, I don't remember, maybe it was a door frame or something and people were doing pull-ups on it. You know, so just kind of, Tom likes to call it farmer engineering you know, just real life product testing. We've even jacked up trucks and put them underneath trucks and had them hold them up in the air like a jack stand. So, you know, obviously extreme, not normal testing, I guess you would say, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, we just want to see, you know, what do people do? We've had people run over them. We've had people shoot their guns on accident and we warranted them for them. We have them slam them in car doors on accident. And uh, they send them in and we've sent them replacements. Hmm. So if they slammed them on car doors and stuff, what typically happens? You know, I think most people are just embarrassed and they probably don't reach out to us. But um, the people that do, the one that I remember was a cop and he was just in a hurry and he slammed the rifle in the door and it it didn't do anything drastic. It just, you know, kind of dented it a little bit. And you could tell that, you know, hey, it looked like a hammer hit it or something. But, uh, you know, it was still fully functional. It just didn't look quite right. Mm -hmm. And do you have that warranty with all of your products? Yeah. So we have a a lifetime satisfaction warranty on our products. You know, if there's obviously any kind of worksmanship or craftsmanship or material defect, you know, we just trade it out for people. And even people that, you know, they get it and they're unhappy with it, you know, we're happy to take it back and give them something different. Or if they bought it from us, we give them their money back. Okay. What's the lightest AR that you've seen built with Odin parts? Without an optic, we can get pretty easily under five pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on the optic, you're going to be right at five pounds, five to five and a half pounds really easily. So it just depends. We have a uh, Zulu stock and the uh, CQB stock and, and brace and the Zulu is okay for weight. The I mean, they're not as light as plastic because they're made out of aluminum, mm-hmm. but they're very strong. So using a, a lightweight plastic stalker. If someone's doing a pistol build and just doing a buffer tube, mm-hmm. you can get really close to four pounds with, uh, and again, a, a lot of weight comes from your barrel. We've made an eight and a half inch ultralight. We make a 10 and a half inch ultralight all the time. That's a, a stocking product. And with that 10 and a half inch ultralight, you can get really close to four pounds. Dang. Yeah. I was looking at your Zulu uh, stock and then the close quarter rifle and pistol brace that you guys make. And I really like the design. Just the aesthetics on it look really great. And I'm pretty sure I messed with it at, I don't know, one of these shows within the last year. 
Maybe it was like uh-huh. the NRA show or something or shot show. I forget. But I was pretty impressed with it. And I shouldered it and it, it felt really nice. But I also personally like lightweight guns. But I know that there's a lot of pros and cons. What would be, I don't know, what are some of the pros and cons that you typically hear? Well, the pros obviously is the weight. And then if you're packing it around at all or truck guns are the rage right now. And if you're carrying that gun in and out of your car every day into your home or into your office, the weight is really nice. I mean, that is absolutely the weight and the length of a short little truck gun or personal defense gun. That's the biggest thing. The cons are going to be any kind of sustained firing. The lighter you make a barrel, the thinner you make a barrel, the less accuracy you're going to have. So barrel accuracy is all about rigidity. And so big, thick barrels are accurate and little skinny pencil barrels are less accurate. So they're going to heat up faster and you're going to lose accuracy faster. But if you're going to shoot a mag through a gun, you know, in a defensive scenario or a short little three gun or two gun stage or just plinking around, then those short, lightweight little barrels are awesome. But if you're going to go out and do heavy sustained firing, that's when you need to get into a a bigger, longer barrel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that all makes sense. I'm going to take a quick break and talk about SB Tactical real quick. If you are working on a pistol build and trying to keep it as compact and lightweight as possible, as we're just kind of talking about, uh, you should check out the SB Mini. It's the lightest minimal stabilizing brace around and fits on standard pistol buffer tubes. The brace is only 3.5 inches long and weighs only 4 ounces. It's available in black or FDE and it's only $79.99. But use the code GUNFUNNY15 and that gets you 15% off. That's at sb-tactical.com. I noticed that the prices are a lot less than your competitors. How do you guys manage to keep those prices down? Well, you know, we can really control pricing because we make everything. Uh, You know, like I said before, like 95 or 98% of what we sell, we make. So we don't have to deal with machine shops, you know, making stuff and marketing it up. I think we have, I was counting in my head today for someone else, we have like 12 or 13 mils and at least that many lathe, if not more. We actually just bought a brand new lathe last week. And we're already using it. You know, lathes, we have essentially two and a half lathes that are dedicated for nothing other than gas blocks. You know, we have, I don't know how many different options we have, seven or eight different gas blocks that we make or five gas blocks we make. Mm -hmm. And we just make so many, we have to have that many machines and they run 16 hours a day making gas blocks. So, you know, that's the biggest thing is everything's in-house, engineering's in-house, um, Research and development's in-house, manufacturing's in-house. The only thing that we don't do is we don't do the anodizing or the coating or the black nitride. All of the coating happens out, you know, so we order all the material. We do as much as we can here, and uh, that's really the biggest way that we can, well, you know, we can absolutely con- control the quality, and then uh, that helps us set the pricing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That makes perfect sense. And then you guys recently got into making suppressors. And I'm assuming that the first one that you make, as like most companies, was a 22 can, correct? Or am I wrong? No, it wasn't. Uh, That was actually the fifth one we made. Oh, okay. That's crazy because 22s are typically the easiest to make. Yep. And then they start going a little bit higher. So what was the first can that you guys developed? So we came out with four. Uh, We came out with uh, two 
direct thread. So uh, the Baja, which is a 5.56 can, mm-hmm. and then the Moab, which is a direct thread 30 caliber can, and then the Brimstone is a quick detach 5.56 can, and the Badlands is a quick detach 30 caliber can. So we came up with those four first. We have learned so much about suppressors and building suppressors over the last, you know, it's been about two years now. And then uh, a year after we introduced those four, we introduced the 22 suppressor, which is the NAV 22, and then the Enduro. So we've launched and introduced all of them. Right now we're shipping all of them, but the Enduro and the Enduro should actually be shipping, you know, within a couple of weeks. It's very, very close. The Enduro and the NAV are both modular cans. Mm-hmm. So they come at a certain length. And then if you want to make them shorter, you can, or you can have them all the way to their full length. The Enduro is a, um, it's a multi-caliber suppressor. So it comes with a nine millimeter end cap. And then it also comes with two different thread adapters. So you can use it on ASR style mounts or like a plan B cherry bomb or whatever you want to do. Um, so it's very versatile. It goes all the way up to nine millimeter, including 338 Lapua Magnum, and then all the way down to 22. So the Enduro is going to be a, an amazing suppressor, and the sound quality out of them is uh, second to none. We, you know, we've done we have our own digital sound meter, and uh, we have tested a ton of suppressors, and across the board, that's really what sets our suppressors apart is the price and the sound quality that you can get out of them. The nav suppressor, the 22 suppressor, is literally so quiet that uh, if you're using subsonic ammunition, you only hear the firing pin on a bolt-action rifle. Wow. On on little handguns and semi-autos, you hear the action, but they are, we like to call it Hollywood quiet. Right. That's exactly what I was just thinking. Oh, so the media was right about this one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was looking over the nav 22, and it's it's cool. It actually kind of looks... Sort of similar to another one that I've seen on the market where just that little metal piece is serialized and then you can yep. kind of add and subtract baffles and stuff like exactly. that. But the price, right now I'm looking on your website, that's $349. That's incredible. The Moab, $449. Your guys' yep. prices are pretty reasonable. Have you guys seen a huge increase in suppressors lately? So I would say that it's a linear growth. You know, as some of our products are exponential, but the suppressor thing, because it takes so long to get them, mm-hmm. you know, once the end user pays for it, then they wait nine months to a year. It has definitely been increasing very steadily. And uh, this summer, obviously, everything right now is just, you know, we can't make anything fast enough. And yeah, that includes suppressors. We are selling and making a lot of suppressors. Very nice. You definitely have some nice looking suppressors. It is always difficult because I've done a few suppressor reviews and I have my SOT. And people are always like, well, how does it compare in sound? It's so difficult sometimes because there's so many variables that kind of play a part. And also people don't realize even the ammunition. You're almost kind of setting up for failure if you're just using, if it's not subsonic or something, then you're not really getting that full value and and you realize what it's capable of doing. You're right. Uh, Suppressors are a really interesting animal and there are so many variables. And uh, people, you know, we've tested so many one of the things that we've come to understand is even like there's a pitch, you know, like the meter can say, you know, that one's like three dBs quieter, mm-hmm. but it has this weird pitch to it that the other one doesn't have. And so the other one that's three dBs louder actually sound better to my 
naked analog ear. Yeah. You know, so uh, suppressors are a very personal, subjective thing, you know, and then there's also different measuring standards. And, you know, one of the things we found out is most of the industry uses, there's two, there's two standards. The industry actually uses the easier standard instead of the harder standard. And uh, for about the first two years, we were measuring ourselves against the industry using, and we were using the harder standard for our stuff. And then we realized, oh, they're using this easier stuff. So our stuff's really even better than we thought it was compared to the rest of the industry. So yeah, there's a lot of variables when it comes to suppressors. So, you know, the only thing I tell people is, you know, go buy one, try it. And, you know, you're not going to be disappointed, mm-hmm. especially for the money you're going to spend on it. Yeah, no kidding. Let's go back to a little bit about yourself. So you, do you still do matches? Yeah, yep. I am a very active uh, three-gun and two-gun shooter. I uh, have done a lot of pistol in the past, but I don't do that much anymore, just occasionally here and there. Okay. And you also organize these matches, correct? I do. I run a couple of really big matches. I'm, I'm the president of the Parma Rod and Gun Club in Parma, Idaho. And I have been running big events there since probably 2003. And uh, started with some IDPA state championships and then big three-gun championships. I've run one currently called the High Desert Three-Gun Championship. We just had it in June. We had, I think, over 200 shooters. And then the one that people get really excited about also is uh, what people know is it started out as the Seekins team match, and now it's the Liberty Lubricants team match, and people just know it as the team match in Parma, and that one's a lot of fun. How was it with the whole COVID thing and stuff, putting on that match? You know, um, it was amazing because I was out there for a week, you know, eight or 10 days or something. And it was like this vacation from reality. You know, everything was normal. Nobody was talking politics. Nobody was talking about masks or wearing masks. And, you know, we went out there and we just did. uh, We had this week of normalcy Mm -hmm. and uh, we had 200 people come together, at least 200 people come together, not counting spectators and family and whatnot. And nobody was sick. Nobody got sick. It was just this fantastic week where people were just able to be themselves and people were hugging each other and shaking hands and it was just pretty normal. Mm -hmm. So not a bad week at all. Yeah. No kidding. I don't even, I couldn't even tell you what normalcy is anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a moving target right now. Yep. And imagine that nobody got sick. Yeah. Weird. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, cool. And for people who want to find Odin online, where are you guys located? Uh, so on the internet, it's uh, odinworks.com, O-D-I-N-W-O-R-K-S.com. And then we're also on Facebook, just search for Odinworks, and also on Instagram, Odinworks, when we should pop right up. All right, awesome. All right, moving forward, IWI. So if you guys haven't checked out the IWI Uzi Pro, it comes with new polymer parts. It's lighter than the original with proven durability. Also, the charging handle is moved from the top of the pistol to the left side of the receiver, allowing for a rail on the top of the receiver. You can also get the Uzi Pro with a side folding brace from SB Tactical, designed specifically for it. Check that out at IWI.us. Don't forget to check out their other stuff. Um, any accessories, you guys get 15% off, and that is if you use the code GUNFUNNY15. You can do that at IWI.us. All right, now it's time for the Political AF segment. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's Political AF. 
prosecutor charges Missouri couple for unlawful use of weapons for defending their home. So I'm sure unless you live under a rock, I'm sure that everyone has seen there's tons of memes and this was all over the news. Do you know what Missouri couple I'm talking about? And they came out and they were defending their really huge home and they were the lady had her finger on the trigger the entire time. And it was just, yeah. I'm yep. sure all gun owners were kind of just cringy and like, hey, thanks. Thanks for making us look like idiots. Yeah, no, I didn't know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Regardless, they still had a right to protect themselves. Basically, the mob or protesters or whatever you want to call them broke down a gate to enter their gated neighborhood. And the wealthy liberal lawyer said that they were threatened, that their house would be burned down and that they would be killed, among other things, by the mob before brandishing their firearms. The gun handling of both was less than ideal, especially the woman whose finger was on the trigger the whole time, but it's clear they were within their rights to defend themselves. However, it has been reported that the pistol she was displaying was not even a real firearm, which is crazy. I actually, I didn't know that. I mean, it's crazy too, because there's so many keyboard warriors that look at every little thing. And I'm sure you know this. If you do social media, you post something, they're like, no, that doesn't look right. Or that doesn't look like the magazine's not all the way in or it's the suppressor's not on. And so it's kind of weird that it's taken this long for them to realize that that wasn't even a real firearm. The husband's Colt, which was seized recently, was reported not loaded during the incident. So that's real great. In spite of Missouri law, the St. Louis prosecutor has charged the couple with felony unlawful use of weapons. Missouri Governor Mike Parson said the McCloskeys, the couple, had every right to defend themselves and indicated he would issue a pardon if the couple was charged. Attorney General Eric Schmidt announced that he was intervening and seeking to have the charges dismissed due to the quote-unquote chilling effect that this might have with the people exercising the Second Amendment rights. This whole thing just shows that even when the law is clear, they had every right to protect themselves, that you still could be slapped with legal actions. And I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because I'm pretty sure, yeah, the couple, their lawyers themselves, it's kind of funny that they're liberal lawyers, but I guess that's probably why one has a fake gun and the other one wasn't loaded. But I don't know. What do you think about this whole thing? You know, uh, there's a lot to process with what's going on with those people. I think from the beginning, I have been very supportive of what they did because obviously they didn't have training. They didn't know what they were doing, but it was the perfect example of why. I mean, so in in self-defense terms, that's what we would call a disparity of force. Mm-hmm. So those people were outnumbered. And in, in the first paragraph of the Missouri Constitution, it talks about defending one's home. And, and it is part of that state's constitution. Mm-hmm. Those people were absolutely within their rights. They spent 32 years remodeling and renovating that home, and they have something that they should absolutely be proud of. And they might be liberals, but that mob crossed the line. There was some imaginary line, and they crossed it. And those people did everything in their rights to defend their home and, frankly, their lives. Mm-hmm. If that mob attacked that home and they didn't leave it, I would absolutely think that they would have been, you know, serious bodily injury or even death would have happened to them trying to protect their home without firearms. Mm -hmm. So I would tell people that if you're going to use a firearm right now in our current environment, unless you live in a very conservative state, um, and that might not even matter because of the local district attorney, plan on being charged with something. But, you know, everyone has a decision to make. You know, what is what I'm protecting worth going through lawsuits because it's going to happen. 
Mm-hmm. And in that, and in that case, those, I think they did a great job. Yeah, they could have used training. They could have done things better. But the bottom line is it worked. What they did worked. Yeah. And they're, you know, so they have nothing to be ashamed of. And the governor, the, if he does have to pardon them, I think that's great. And I think personally, I believe in a whole society is like, we're sick of this. You know, the, the quote unquote silent majority. We are, people are getting fed up. I've personally been hearing people more and more talking about, I'm done with this. Uh, We just had a protest uh, two nights ago here in Boise. And, you know, there was supposed to be this BLM rally. And uh, frankly, they didn't show up because so many counter protesters or patriots, you know, they were calling themselves, showed up in force and basically saying, we're done with this. We're not going to allow you to destroy our city. We're not going to allow you to tear down statues or throw bricks or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You know, we're done with this. So, you know, I think it's great. People, the silent majority needs to really keep on doing more stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And they definitely were within their rights. And you're right. If they weren't armed, they were definitely outnumbered. And who's to say what would have happened? And obviously, already there's been tons of cases where things have turned violent and they've destroyed property. So it's just, I kind of just wish out of all of this that they had a little bit of training. Yeah. And what I've heard since then, they've hired up to 20 private contractors come and protect their home. Mm -hmm. They had their rifle taken away, like you said. And that's kind of the other unintended consequence I think you're going to see out of this. As people get sued for protecting themselves or they get uh, charges levied against them, you're going to see private contracting become a really huge business, which is really unfortunate. You know, people should be able to defend themselves and their property without a worry of litigation or, or charges. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. And it's also, it just goes to show too that, look how many, what they say, there was 8.7 million guns sold in the last three months or something. And that's oh, yeah. that's not even the true number because there's like 20 something where if you have your concealed carry permit, you don't have to do a background check on. Right. So we don't know how many more background checks were done. There's private sales. There's just a huge amount of people that recently bought guns. And I think 40% of them are new gun owners. And it's obviously because of the political climate and everything that's going on. And they want to protect themselves. And as a result, that's why I'm working seven days a week. And I've been busier than ever training these people, which has been interesting. I'm actually, I'm writing an article about it in Shooting Industry Magazine about what I've noticed with all the new gun owners in the last couple months. And yeah. I would strongly encourage any, because you are right, there's record gun sales going on and record new gun owners on, on both sides of the aisle, uh, liberal, conservative, yeah. middle, uh, people are buying and buying and buying it. And really it kicked off when people couldn't get toilet paper and food. It, it really know? did. Yeah. And because people started to realize that I can't count on anybody else but me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, and people are, you know, they're going to want to take care of their families. And when police officers are saying that they're not going to come to calls that if anything, if it's not violent, then they're just not going to show up. And I think it kind of really opened people's eyes. Right. And there were several, especially when the riots were really strong, you know, even celebrities calling and asking 911 for help. And, you know, basically the response was the city's under attack. You know, do what you need to do. Yeah. I would encourage all of, even longtime gun owners, get some training, go find a class. Something is better than nothing. There's a lot of people out there that know what they're talking about that can help you. 
get some training. It, it will only make things better for you. Absolutely. All right, moving forward, Sharps Bros. The MB47AK all still milled receiver with the 1913 rail is back in stock at Atlantic Firearms, which is a big seller of Sharps Bros products. The MB47 is regarded as one of the best AK receivers available, and the 1913 version is amazing if you want to put a side folding stock or brace on it, depending on your build. So head on over to either Atlantic Firearms, or you could always find links to that at sharpsbros.com. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Today's question is Ava. P365 versus Hellcat. What are your thoughts? Is one a clear winner or are there things you like better on each? I personally would say, so I've been considering carrying the P365. I have the Hellcat. Obviously, I've shot both. The only thing that I'm still... I guess kind of salty about is when the P365 came out, I was one of the first people to review it and I had issues. Tried different ammo, switched out the magazines, cleaned it, and I couldn't cycle a single round to save my life. And of course, everyone was just like, oh, it's user error. And I think I've, I've told this story before. And I ended up sending it back. They sent me a long list of parts that they replaced on it. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, no, it shot great for us. Or, oh, we only switched out like a few parts. I mean, it was like they basically switched out the entire gun. And then after that, it shot well. In my opinion, I think that they pushed it out a little too quick without doing all of the testing that they needed. And it wasn't as accurate or reliable in the beginning. I think in the last, I don't know, I'd say in the last year or so, they definitely, they've worked out the kinks and it's definitely, it's, it's more reliable than it's ever been. The Hellcat, on the other hand, a lot of people don't care for Springfield. I think the Hellcat, as far as the way that it feels when I shoot the Hellcat and the P365, they feel very similar. They're very similar in size. The Hellcat magazine capacity, I think, is 13 rounds. And the P365, there's a magazine that'll hold 12 rounds. So they're very similar. It's really just a lot of people won't buy the Hellcat because of all of the political issues surrounding Springfield with Illinois and stuff like that. But I've always thought that Springfield made pretty good, reliable products. I've owned a few Springfields. I think my second gun that I ever bought was the Springfield XDM in a 9mm. I never had a single malfunction, and I shot that gun for years. There's been plenty of YouTube videos where I think somebody put 10,000 rounds through the Hellcat without cleaning it, and it didn't have any issues. So... I don't know. I would say at this point, maybe if this was a year and a half ago, and obviously I don't think the Hellcat came out then. I think it came out just as last shot show. But yeah. But if they came out at the same time, then I would say definitely the Hellcat. But now I would say they pretty much go pretty head to head, in my opinion. What do you think, Aaron? Uh, you know, I'll tell you a quick little story and then I'll give you my opinion. But so there's a, a local gun store, a sporting warehouse. You might have one around where you live. Mm-hmm. So a buddy of mine, we used to teach a lot of concealed weapons classes and we're standing there and this lady is buying a revolver and she goes through the next check and everything. And the guy is, you know, basically gives her the revolver as a little five shot. And she says, okay, I'm going to need some ammo for it. And he says, okay. And you know, he kind of puts out on the counter, you know, here are your options. And, and uh, this is the one I recommend. And she's like, well, I don't want any of those. 
And he's like, why? And she's like, well, uh, this one has 20 yeah. cartridges. Yeah. And he's, he's like, well, do you want more? And she's like, no, the gun holds five. Why do I need more than five? So long story short, in her mind, she was going to take that five shot revolver, put five rounds in it and stick mm-hmm. it in her purse and never shoot it, mm-hmm. which it's a huge tragedy, huge mistake. And it, unfortunately, it happens more often than it should. It happens all the time. So when it comes to the Hellcat and the 365, you know, I think it's a really a Ford versus Chevy argument. I think they have both worked out their kinks. Obviously, Springfield did a better job of working out the kinks before releasing the product. But what I would do, I would feel... You know, whatever you're going to shoot and be comfortable enough to practice with is the one that I would pick. So Mm -hmm. if one fits your hand better than the other one, then go with that one because they should be equally reliable. But uh, you need to take it to the gun range and find out if it's not going to be reliable, sell it and get the other one. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, you're right. I hear that all the time in my classroom. Yeah, the only thing is revolvers, anything with a decent caliber only holds five to six rounds. So and people are like, well, what's wrong with that? Don't I just need one round? And I'm like, you know, I consider myself a good shot. I already know I'm most likely going to be in panic mode. My adrenaline's rushing. I'm definitely not going to be accurate. It typically takes more than one round to stop somebody, not to necessarily kill them. And then you're assuming that there's only going to be one person. Maybe there's five people that break in. And now you got to protect yourself against five people and really make sure that your hits are counting. So I always say the more ammo, the better. And worst case scenario, you just don't use it. That's why I really like, I find the the P365 and the Hellcat very attractive just because of the mag capacity. Absolutely. And it's pretty much the size of, before this, I was carrying the Glock 42 just because the 42 came out before the 43. And, and I added a little base plate on it. So it added two extra rounds. So what is that? Eight plus one. And now it's stupid to even carry that. Why would I carry that when I could have a nine millimeter that holds four more rounds? Yeah. And that's a nine millimeter versus a 380. So as far as people who are buying their first gun, I want everyone to know that a lot of people make the mistake of buying a really small gun, thinking that it's going to be much easier to operate, but that couldn't be farther from the truth. So just keep in mind that if you don't have a lot of experience shooting, I would probably practice with a full size, get comfortable with that, and then move down to a a smaller gun because it is going to have a lot more recoil and it's going to be a little bit more difficult to manage. I don't think you could have better advice than that. The problem a lot of people have is they buy these tiny little guns and then they don't have anything else. And so they're like angry dragons in their hands and the recoil sucks and they don't, they're not fun to shoot and they never practice. Exactly. Buy a full size or at least a subcompact like a block 19 and practice, practice, practice. And then, you know, when it matters and you need to shoot that little gun, it's not going to be so bad to shoot. Yeah. Unfortunately, Hollywood has done a great job of having heroes like, John McClane and Die Hard or, you know, pick your hero. And everyone thinks that they're going to rise to the occasion when something bad happens. Unfortunately, we're, we don't rise to the occasion. We sink to our lowest level of training. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's how we fight. You know, you fight how you train. And if you're not going to train, you might want to think twice about pulling that gun in a, in a self-defense scenario. So Definitely. training, training, training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And most people, even if you don't fight well, most people don't even fight. They freeze. Correct. Yep. That's right. Yeah, I agree. All right. Polymer 80. They have the MCK micro conversion kit in stock right now. So for anyone who's not familiar with it, it's an assembly that your Polymer 80 locks into and it creates a carbine like platform. And it's really, it works in seconds. You can transform your pistol into 
almost like a PCC, has a charging handle, side folding brace, extra mag holder, rail space for optics, other accessories. You can find this at polymer80.com. They're $285, but if you use the code GUNFUNNY, you will get 15% off. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Savage introduces PRS rifles for left-handed shooters, which is, in my opinion, genius, and I don't know why more manufacturers don't jump onto this, because there is a large population of people who are only left-handed. Sometimes you'll meet people who shoot, they're ambidextrous and they can shoot with their right hand, but there are a lot of people that I train that can only shoot with their left hand, which makes it a little bit difficult. So if you're a left-hand shooter, I'm sure you guys can all agree there isn't a lot on the market for you guys. Savage Arms just introduced two new models. It's the 110 Precision and the 110 Elite Precision with controls for lefties. Both models feature chassis from Modular Driven Techniques and are available in 308, 300 Win Mag, 338 Lapua, 300 PRC, and 65 Creedmoor. The Elite Precision has the new adjustable core competition chassis and also includes 6mm Creedmoor and 223 Remington. MSRP on the Elite Precision starts at let's just say 2000 it's 1999 while the 110 precision starts at 1500 and both look like great options for lefties looking to get into precision shooting without going to the expense of a custom gun and people might think well, yeah it's kind of pricey but honestly if you've ever put together a custom gun especially for long distance shooting it definitely adds up very quickly is that something that you do is long distance shooting uh, you know, I don't do it very much right now. I used to do quite a bit of it, and I still have all the gear. But these, uh, the current iteration of long-range shooting is kind of like a pistol match with rifles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's all about speed and getting your hits and positional stuff. And, you know, it's, it's definitely a different game. It is, yeah. I know. I just got into precision rifle shooting not too long ago, and it's definitely a completely different animal. And there's so many other things that you have to take into consideration. And it's not just necessarily how you pull the trigger so right but it's definitely a lot of fun and i definitely recommend it i thought it was it was kind of more relaxing than just going to the range and just shooting a gun and i think that sometimes you get a little you don't get bored with what you have but you're just all right you kind of want a little bit more of a challenge than i would highly recommend long distance shooting as far as these guns definitely check them out and you can find that at the savage website now trigger brew guys, I'm still working seven days a week. I'm freaking exhausted. Okay. When is this going to end? Even yesterday, yesterday was my birthday. And so you think I'd go out. No, we had dinner at like 6 PM and I was, I just need to be home early (laughs) so I can relax because I didn't have any work to do. And I was like, Oh, finally, I just want to relax and just peace and quiet. But what's keeping me going lately is obviously the trigger brew coffee, as well as the energy shots. And typically I always drink my coffee in the morning and then throughout the day, depending on how tired I am, the energy shots work great. Otherwise, I might just have another cup of coffee. All of them taste great. Highly recommend it. Check it out at triggerbrew.com. Use the code GUNFUNNY. That gets you 20% off. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as never mind, AF. 
this story is kind of funny. Antivirus founder John McAfee may be eating more than his own words. Three years ago, the antivirus creator made a bet on the future value of Bitcoin. He basically stated that Bitcoin would be worth 500000 per Bitcoin within three years. For a while, the growth of Bitcoin far exceeded the model, so he revised his prediction to a million by the end of 2020. Bitcoin is currently at 9,368. Obviously, it changes a little bit each day. So it has a lot of growth to do if he doesn't want to basically rain on his revised bet. And basically, what is at stake for him is if Bitcoin doesn't reach a million, he said that he would eat his own dick on national television. While this obviously won't happen, I'm sure that there's going to be relentless trolling. I don't know. Just goes to show you just you never want to make a bet that you're not prepared to stand by. <laughs> yeah. Although I don't know Bitcoin lately with all the I just did another podcast on money. And did you hear that they have a coin shortage now? Yes. Which I'm like, really? Yeah. Really? Who I'm like, knows what's really true, right? I know. But I think the scary thing is not just not just how stupid the government thinks we are, but and they're absolutely right because a lot of these people are stupid. They're not even questioning. There's, oh, we have a corn shortage. We got to do our part and pay with credit card. <laughs> yeah. And we've never had a coin shortage. Even if they couldn't make coins for the last three months, it is not even going to make a dent in the amount of coins that circulate the U.S. every day. Absolutely agree. It's just, oh, so I don't know. This, this is definitely, 2020 has just been some really, just really crazy just when you think it can't get worse or you think you've heard everything, then they throw stuff out like, oh, well, quarters. In fact, I should go out and sell my quarters. Hey, guys, you want to buy a quarter? A dollar each. Yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> That's how supply and demand works, right? If exactly. there's a shortage, it becomes worth more. I know. And actually, what's kind of funny is I would almost feel like coins would actually be worth more than obviously these paper dollar bills especially with the way things are going and nothing's really, we don't have the gold standard anymore. So nothing's really backing up the dollar bill. So I would assume that precious metals or any of these metals would actually probably be a little bit more substantial than these dollar bills. Right. But you know, don't take my word for it, but definitely start saving up those coins. If you guys have a big can of them or something, big jar. Yep. All the gold guys are out there saying, I told you so right now. Yeah. No kidding. I know. Why didn't I, man, and this whole time I was making fun of them and I was, haha, you're paranoid. You guys are just preppers. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah, we're just sitting on our silver and gold. That's right. All right. Triarch system. So while Triarch is known for the custom work that they do on larger clock pistols, some people may not realize that they do the same fantastic upgrades on micro glocks as well. So like the Glock 42, 43, 43X, 48. They have a bunch of upgraded packages available as far as stippling, seracoding, slide cuts, optic mounts, all kinds of stuff. It's pretty much their go-to shop if you guys want to do some stuff to your Glocks. Check them out. You can find them at triarchsystems.com. Use the code AVA, A-V-A, and that gets you a 5% off. And now it's time for iTunes review. So guys, if you have not left an iTunes review, please do so. First review is Dave T45, five stars, cats only fans. After White Damon's episode, I need advice on starting an OnlyFans to afford my large cats. Very interesting to hear about such amazing animals. Great laughs and interesting information. Second review, and I'm not even one, two, four, five, seven, three, seven, eight, nine, three, nine, nine, eight. Okay, we're not doing this. Uh, not your typical gun podcast. Five stars, totally and hopelessly addicted. 
The show is irreverent and highly informative. Episode 149 is my favorite so far. Ava and Liberty Doll together. Sign me the F up. All right, Aaron. So out of those two, pick a winner to win a prize pack. Um, First or second? We'll just go with that because I'm not going to make you say that long number. Let's go with uh, second. All right. So contact me on social media or on the website and I will get that sent out to you. And now it's time to wrap up. So guys, just head on over to gunfunny.com for links to everything, uh, show notes, affiliate links. If you want to become a Patreon and support the show, I'd highly recommend it. It gets you access to our Patreon only group, which is a lot of fun. And it's definitely become kind of like a nice little family. And the next person to become a patron, I'm going to send you a bunch of stickers, GunFunny related. And you could do that at patreon.com forward slash GunFunny. Also, Blown Deadline is giving away a $300 gift certificate each month to a lucky Patreon. Michael Alexio last month was the winner. And $5 and up patrons get a lucky patch, a patron only patch that will never be for sale. I want to thank the $25 patrons, Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran, 8888, Ryan Morrison, Elliot and Mike Pappas, Joe Lyons, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Joshua Hamp, Sportsman's Guide, Daniel Treadwell, and Star Wars 77. King of the patrons is still Jon Snow. He wants me to say that Operator Tickles grinds her coffee with her teeth and boils the water with her own rage. All right, Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with me. Can you just remind listeners once again where they can find Odin Works? Yeah, you know, we have quite a few dealers and distributors, but directly you can go to odinworks.com on uh, Facebook uh, and Instagram to search Odin Works and we'll come right up. Okay, awesome. And also, I just want to note that when I was looking over your website, you guys still have a lot in stock, which is kind of rare to see nowadays. I think a lot of people were like, oh, well, I can't buy guns. No big deal. I'll just make my own. And I think everyone kind of had very similar ideas because now even just finding those parts have been pretty difficult to find. So good for you guys for keeping them in stock. Yeah, we're trying really hard. Uh, we have a local anodizer that uh, we turn stuff around quick. And that probably is, unless you can find it in stock on someone else's website, ordering directly from our website usually is uh, the quickest way to get something right now. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, on that note, we're out of here. Okay. Thanks. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact. <laughs>